Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, this is uh, uh, our next installment of Plant Genomics Fridays from the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Thank you for everybody here in person, everybody here's remote. Um, so uh, we have uh, a tag team of speakers today, uh, both from the Department of Statistics, uh, University of Nebraska. Um, so our first speaker is Yumu, uh, who's a, a, a faculty member in the Department of Statistics and specializes in high dimensional uh, data analysis. And our second speaker is Yu Hong, who specializes in functional data analysis. Um, so I will let them um, take over. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Um, have you heard of the yes. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you everyone for being here. So um, I'm from the staff department, as Jennifer uh, introduced. Um, so uh, I would like to talk about some statistical programs uh, in the high school computer academy. Um, so this is uh, joint uh, collaborative work across the whole campus. Um, practice from staff departments, Jennifer, uh, Ken, Yuhan, and Jen, and many, many other practice from other departments, like James here, Yuhan, and many are very, very, very wonderful uh, PhD students. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I want to first begin with what is statistics. So this is what I get from Wikipedia. So Wikipedia says that statistics is a branch of mathematics dealing with connecting analysis, interpretation, presentation, and organization of data. Well, I use Wikipedia now, and usually I trust Wikipedia. But I don't think Wikipedia here is 100% correct. So with advanced quantitative analysis nowadays, it's very hard to imagine that statistics is still a branch of mathematics. So I more like to think statistics as a data science. For the data science, so here the picture shows us the whole procedure of the data science process. Well, we connect the data first, and then they pre-process the data, clean the data. So those two steps, we consider as pre-processing of the data. And after that, we can do uh, some graphs to represent the data and do some modeling. So usually, the pre-processing of data, um, as many of our scientists know, actually, this takes maybe 80% of the time. And the modeling analysis is like 10 minutes in our time. Well, after that, we can uh, generate um, a, a, a result and the data product. So this whole process as the uh, data science, and today I would like to talk about this whole <coughs> process of high throughput phenotyping. I would like to review the high throughput phenotyping through the data aspect. Okay. So first, I want to talk about the data collection. Okay, so the data collection is related to experiment design. So suppose you have a field, and you have several pods within this field. Okay, this can be in greenhouse or whatever. It's just a, a, a demonstration. So those pods, so those numbers uh, in the uh, in each pod is just the identification number for each of the pods. It does not have any meaning for the treatment or the experiment unit. So suppose we have four treatments. So how many um, parts here? So I think there are 20 parts. Oh no. Uh, uh, 24. Uh, 24 parts here. Okay. So we have four treatments. So if we design a balanced experiment design, so we can have six experiment units for each treatment. So one way you can do a randomized, complete randomized, called a CRD, complete randomized design. You just randomly assign each of the experiment units, okay, to one of the pods here in this <laughs> design. Well, the, the reason to use complete randomized design is that by complete randomization, they want to control those factors they cannot control, okay, in reality, okay. 
However, if there is some factor that we can actually control, for example, if each line of this, uh, if each line of this field has some block structure, so the line, so so there is some difference between different lines. So actually, we can do better, okay, than complete randomized design. So in this case, we can use the randomized complete block design. We can use block designs. So suppose we have six blocks here, and each line is a block. So what we do is we just randomly assign each treatment in each of the line here. So in this way, we can better capture, we can better control the variation between blocks. Okay. So that is the idea of blocking. Okay. So let's see how this idea applies to our study. <clears throat> so this is the greenhouse layout of our high school phenotyping <coughs> facility. This is just um, the first room. Okay. On the left side, this is the north side of the uh, of the room. So this is where the indie chamber. Okay. So I marked in different colors. So the line in one color is what we call one drone in the greenhouse. So it looks like in this Excel sheet, it looks like a corner, but we actually call it a row in the greenhouse. Okay, so what in our greenhouse is that the neighboring lines in our greenhouse, they are like one meters away from each other, about that. And the pot within each of the lines actually very close to each other. So we expect that there will be some difference, there will be some row effect. Okay? So how to use that idea to design an experiment? So this is an experiment uh, that um, uh, James uh, um, and some other uh, students and the faculty members did in our greenhouse. So what we do is that we block each of the two rows. So the rows in the same color is what we consider as a block. And then we randomly assign the genotypes in each of the blocks. So in this study, there are 32 genotypes. Okay, and the total number of of a plant is 160, so we can have five replicates. Those five replicates, well, they are the five blocks here in this design. Okay? So let's say is there indeed some row effect, some block effect in our greenhouse. So this is the analysis result. So <coughs> the the vertical axis gave us the estimated effect of the sixth row, which is in the middle of the greenhouse. So the sixth row is in the middle of the greenhouse, minus the first row. And the response is the plant size. Or you can say it's a total pixel count of a plant. So the horizontal axis is the date. So it's clearly, we say that as the plant grow, so the row effect become more and more significant. So this dot here is estimated value for that row effect. And the bar here is the confidence interval. So if this confidence interval, okay, <coughs> does not include zero, then we think the row effect is significant. So in this case, it's pretty significant after maybe uh, 24 days, okay, of image. Okay, so that is, one thing we need to consider in the greenhouse, okay? So this is for the experiment design. And next one, I want to talk about the data pre-processing, okay? So in our case, the data is image data. So these are the two sample image, okay? From one of our experiments. So what does the imaging pre-processing mean? So this means that from each of the image, we want to extract features of the plant. For example, we want to extract the plant size and plant height, plant wide, or we want to extract the convex pore. So we want to find uh, the maximum convex pore, the, the minimum convex pore to contain this plant. Okay, so this is related to uh, plant rotation. And also we want to figure out what the skeleton 
over the time. Okay, if we want to count how many leaves are there. Okay, so for the image pre-processing part, the first step, one of the also one of the most important steps is to separate the plant from the background. Okay, after we separate the plant from the background, then we can count how many pixels for the plant. So that is a measure for the plant size, and also we can measure the plant height and all the <coughs> features associated with that. Okay, so what do you usually do? Usually we just apply a thresholding, okay, for the contrast of the green pixel versus the red and blue pixel. Okay, so um, another thing I want to mention is that for each of the image is actually a three-dimensional array. So the first of two dimensions is the row and the column of the image, and the third dimension is the color intensity for the three basic colors. So RGB, red, blue, R, uh, red, green, and blue. Okay, so it's a three-dimensional array. For each of the pixels here, you have three values, okay, giving the intensity of the color. Okay, so then for each of the pixels, you can do a contrast. Okay, you can use the green intensity minus average of red and blue intensity. And then you can put a threshold on that difference. Okay, so this procedure works very well if plant is small. Okay, so this is, uh, we put a threshold uh, 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 of the uh, contrast of the green and red and blue uh, intensity as I just talked about. So you can say that for the, when plant is small, it works pretty well. It's almost the give us everything of the plant. So even though there is some noise in the background, which is very hard to get rid of, but when plant is small, so we can actually define a region of interest. So suppose here to here is our region of interest, and we can get away of those noise on the border of the image. Okay, so that is not a very big problem. The problem is when the plant keep growing, when the plant keep growing, they need to zoom out. When they zoom out, as you say that, the background becomes more complicated, as they say here. And if you look clearly, there will be some reflection of the plant. Okay, there will be some reflection of the plant. Okay, by the side walls. If you define a region of interest, say if you define the region of interest as the two bars here, two black bars here, the plant will go outside of the bars. Okay, so that will cause us problem for the thresholding approach. Okay, so let's say if we put a thresholding, okay, for the plant when plant is bigger, as you can say that there will be much more noise. Okay, on the side. Okay and also uh, below the plant, okay? So, but keep in mind, we have the empty plot. We can use that, because empty plot is a plot that we put in the experiment without any plant, so we can use that as a contrast, okay? So how about we use the contrast of the real image versus the background image, okay? So this is the contrast of the real image versus the background image. So it shows the plant very well, but also it shows the reflection. Okay? So if we put a threshold on this picture, okay, if we put a threshold on this picture, what you have will be something like this. Also another noise, and also you have the reflection. So what should we do? Okay? Is there any robust ways? So this threshold works very well when plant is smaller. But it may require more manpower to choose a deliberate, a very nice threshold when the plant grows. Which means this procedure may not be robust over the growth of the whole plant. So what we want to do is we want to find a more robust way to do the image separation. Okay? So we tried to solve this problem by using the idea of classification. So what classification means that, okay, we have two groups, okay? In this case, we have the background and the plant. Those are two groups. Okay, we 
<coughs> construct a twin bed over the two groups, which is not very difficult for this case because the background will we can just use the pixels from the pictures without plants. Okay, that will be our background. And for the plants, for the group of plants, we can use the pixels extract from the small plants. So those are the two groups. We want to train the two groups and then predict other pictures. So KDMAT, this training, we only need to do once. Okay, we only need to do once for the whole experiment. And then for the rest of the picture, we just need to do prediction. Okay. So in the <coughs> in the following talk, I would like to introduce several well, several widely used uh, classification methods. And we want to compare which is the best for our scenario. So the method I want to introduce is uh, linear discriminant analysis, quadratic discriminant analysis, support machine, tree, random forest, and neural network. So neural network I will introduce here is a basic neural network. There are different versions of neural network. So in this talk, we just keep things simple. We just do the basic neural network. <coughs> so this picture shows us what the idea of near the quadratic classification. So I didn't use any formula, just some pictures to do the illustration. So in this case, there are three groups, okay, colored by, by blue, yellow, and green. The linear classification is we try to find a linear separation between the two, between the three groups. Okay? And we use this linear classifier, use this boundary to do our prediction. So if a new data comes, it falls within this group, then we will predict it as one. If the new data comes with fall within this group, we will predict that as three. So in this case, the data is two-dimensional. Okay, data is two-dimensional. In our case, the data is three-dimensional, but it's um, not that easy to view. Okay. So quadratic discriminant analysis, the idea is very similar. So instead of using the linear boundary, they use a quadratic boundary. Okay. And again, if a data falls within this part of the <coughs> graph, it will predict as group two. Okay. So this is the idea of the linear discriminant analysis and the quadratic discriminant analysis. Subdirect machine. Okay. The idea, so the math behind this is quite terrible. Okay. Um, but I will just talk about the idea. So again, this is a two-dimensional. The data is two-dimensional, x1 and x2. Suppose we have a group looking like this. So the second group is within the first group. Then it's very hard to separate by either LDI or QDI. So what I'm supposed to machine did is that they, so we have the original space, two-dimensional. It projects the two-dimensional space to a higher-dimensional space. So in this case, I just use the three-dimensional case here. So in real case, it will be projected on a much higher dimension. Okay, for the three-dimensional case, so you can think as a transformation: x1, x2 to x1 square, x1 times x2 and x2 square. What it does is that by projection the lower-dimensional data to a higher dimension. That higher dimension can capture the nonlinearity of the data. And then after we project on the higher dimension, we use a linear separation, just a linear separation, a hyperplane to separate those two data sets. And then after we project back to the original space, it will be a nonlinear curve. Okay, so that is the idea of support vector machine. Okay? So in the end, so different from the linear and the quadratic. Uh, discriminances, the machine will have a nonlinear, a highly nonlinear curve to separate the two groups in the original space. Okay, so that is the support vector machine. So the next <coughs> method I will talk about is classification tree. So the classification tree is totally different. Well, but the idea is still simple. Okay, I will illustrate the idea by using this example. So this is a famous example of classifying our emails, whether it is a real email or it's a spam. Okay, so 
for each email, we can get several variables, several features for that email. For example, the first feature we get is I think this is a percentage of the order sign in that email. Okay. Then what we do is that okay, at the first step, at the first step, it looks for which variable will separate the two groups most. And what value of that variable will separate the two groups best. So at the first step is find out this the percentage of the donor sign, okay, smaller than 0 0.055, is the most <coughs> significant separation of the true email and the spam email. And they just separate it into two subgroups. And they keep doing that, keep doing that. In the end, if you grow the tree big enough, you will have each observation in each of the subgroups. Okay, so that's the idea of a cascading tree. And then you need to decide where you want it cut because we do not want it overbidding. Okay, so based on the idea of the tree, so this is a very clever method, random forest. Okay, invented by Bremen, okay, who is a very famous statistician. Okay, I really like this method, okay, random forest, because it worked quite well for many of the data sets. So this idea is that instead of growing one tree, we grow in multiple trees. So we subsample the data. So we so this is called bootstrap sample, but I will not talk about what bootstrap means. So but you can see this is random subsample of the data. Based on each subsample of the data, we grow a tree. Okay? And then in the end we average the results from all the trees. So this is like a model averaging idea. Okay. And then, at last, I want to talk about neural network. The idea of neural network is totally different from all the methods we just talked about. So for the neural network, for the neural network, we have the input layer. So let's first talk about the simple neural network, not the deep learning. Okay? But when they move from the simple to deep learning, just we add more layers. Okay? So <clears throat> there is the input layer. You can see that this is, is our data, okay, all our pixels, okay, here as the input layer. And then we do a weighted average for each of, for all our input layer to get the hidden layer. So those directions, those arrows here, you can see each of the arrow carry a weight. It do a weighted average for all those input layers and that is the input for that hidden layer. And then we do a nonlinear transformation, okay, for that weighted average. And we do this for many, many hidden layers. And then again, we do a weighted average and a nonlinear transformation to get the output layer. Okay? Why this work? Okay, why this work? So I didn't understand for quite a long time. This looks very amazing to me. This is a highly nonlinear application. So this is a part to show why the neural network works. So we originally we had two groups, which is very hard to separate. So one group is within the next, the other group. But by doing the neural network, by doing the higher layers, those higher layers save up the road to do a transformation for the whole space. After those nonlinear transformations, you can find the best space that can separate the two groups. And so that is the idea of neural network, basic neural network. It's just a basic neural network. There are many, many other versions, more sophisticated neural networks. Okay, so let's say how those methods works for our data set. As I talked about, we have a training data. So basically, it's just the green pixels, the plant pixels they extract from the, the small plant and the background of that uh, small plant. Okay, so and then we randomly split the data into two parts. So we have a training part and we have a testing part. We train our data on the training part and then we predict on the testing part. And we want to compare over different methods. So the first row here is we classify background as a plant. We do not want this because this will give us very noisy. Okay. The second 
row is cast by plant as background. So some arrows here may be okay. Okay, that just means that the plant is small. Okay. So for the LDA, you see that the arrow of LDA is very high for uh, a cast by background as plant. That's because our background is not uh, homogeneous. So a linear separation cannot do well. Okay. QDA actually works pretty well. So remember how many pixels we have. This is uh, 33,000 um, uh, um, for the background and 4,000 for the plant for the testing. Okay, QDA works pretty well. Trees and random forest works not so well. I kind of doubt uh, the result of random forest that I need to go back to talk to Jason. Okay, but in the end, the support machine and the neural network gave us no testing error. So they perform very well without any errors. Okay, so then let's say how it works for our plant. As you can say that, if, so this is a prediction by the support vector machine. And you see that there are fewer, much fewer noise on the boundary side, and those noise can be very easily get rid of because they are, they are isolated uh, points, so it can be very easily get, get rid of. So there's no reflection and no noise on the lower side. So this actually, I think, performed pretty well. So the result for the neural network is similar. And we believe that this performance can be further improved if we use convolutional neural network, because that uses a neighborhood structure of each of the image. Okay. So that is what we will try next. Okay, so I talk about the classification. The classification is like supervised learning. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is unsupervised learning, the k-mean clustering. So giving you a plant, giving you an image, so we do not have any training information, and we just want to extract features, extract information from that image. So this idea of payment clustering, okay? Um, so we have a data here, two-dimensional, two-dimensional, and the payment clustering uses an iterative algorithm to find the best separation of the data. So in this case, we <coughs> We set the number of cluster k equal to three. Then, by the iterative algorithm, it finds the best center. Okay, that can group the data into three paths. Okay, into three clusters. So this is a k-mean clustering. Now let's say what the k-mean clustering okay works for our image. This is the same image. This is the same plant we just talked about by using application. Here, instead of choose k to 2, so we should choose k to 2 because we want to separate the background and the plant, but we choose k larger than 2, which say what will happen. Okay? So this is one of the clusters, which here gave you, well, the plant, right? But there will be noise, but that is not what we want to talk about. We do not want to talk about the background noise. This is the second, okay, this is another group. And you can see it automatically gives you the outliers of the plant and also give us a tassel. Okay, very easy. Tassel. Okay, so this can give us some guidance to how to do skeleton of the plant and how to identify the tassel. Okay. There's no training data, no training data at all. Okay, just a simple payment clustering. Okay, so that is the data processing I want to talk about. This is just for RGB data, but we have more hyperspectral data, thermal data. So that is something we should try next. Well, the next part is modeling and the inference. Okay, and I will. Leave that to you,
a nice picture.
by each individual. How how about on mm -hmm. average, what is mm -hmm. the mean growth curve for this kind of plant under this genotype, under this watering conditions? What is the estimate for that curve? Uh, same question is whether there's any genotype and environment interaction. Um, so here I I saw the Wikipedia. Since this is already a word there, uh, so I will I will interested in what does this mean uh, later. So it's not exactly the same as meaning as in Wikipedia says that genotype environmental interaction means the response of the genes to the environment. So. Uh, this is a different term I will use. Okay, to answer these two questions, uh, the easiest way to do is I call it to be point-wise ANOVA. Uh, basically, for if I use YIJ, it would be the I spent at time TJ, the I from 1 to 60, 60 plants, J from 1 to 20, 20 time points. So I can easily write this model. Okay, so for this model, uh, this is the mean function for the plant. I use the dog squares and FMA mates as the reference. Why I use this as a reference? Because then you are see that compared with this reference, the effect of genotype, the effect of uh, watering will be positive. Okay. So I use this for the indicator which genotype is using. Uh, so one means dependent three, zero means uh, FMA. So this is the effect for the genotype at this time point, TJ. And this is the watering indicator, uh, zero or one. So this is the treatment for the watering. And uh, this is, I call it, an interaction. So this is actually an interaction in the uh, ANOVA model, whether you have an uh, interaction term or not. So here I mean that genotype environmental interaction actually means that um, for uh, for one genotype the treatment from two from two treatments is the same for different genes. And this is from a perspective of the response. So this is slightly different. Okay, and also you have error. So for this simple model, uh, first we want to see where the this interaction terms exist. So I will do a simple uh, test for each time point. Mm -hmm. So for each time point, we can run a simple ANOVA and then you can test whether this term exists or not. So you can see that, fortunately, I don't have any problem here because everything, every key value here is much greater than 0 0.05. So uh, I'm afraid that whether there's one term is uh, less than or other terms are greater than, but all of them are very big, so which means that we didn't see any interaction of terms here. So we can simply formulate a model without any interaction. Uh, so some estimate of interest to us, for example, uh, mu j hat. So j is the time point tj, so mu j hat is the estimate of the plant area of the dog stress FMA maze. Uh, GI hat is the genotype effect at time TJ, which means that compared with the reference, compared with the FMA gene, what is the effect of the 73 gene? Um, WI, the, compared with dog stress, what is the effect of the watering effect? Okay. And uh, then we have. Uh, such kind of curves. So you can see that for these four kind of combinations, we have different kind of curves. Um, so, so this you can see usually like for the red curve, it means that we have the same watering condition, where water and dependency is greater than this. And for stress conditions, you can see the same curve, same conclusion. And if you have the same gene, for example, the solid green and the blue in the same gene, the wet water is grows taller than drought stress ones. Okay, so for the mean growth curves, for the three uh, four kind of combinations, you can see this curve uh, pretty easily. 
And on the right side, I point to the main effects. Uh, the main effects is simply with the effect in the ANOVA model, is just uh, why is the, this turnpike effect, why is the water effect? I want to look at these two effects individually. Okay, so you can see that uh, at the beginning, the, the red curve means the genotype effect, and the genotype effect plays a major role in the beginning stage. Then later, the water effect, the environmental effect, will play a much bigger role. So, and the intersection is about, about here. Okay, so I have a very, so this makes sense to me because. Uh, I have a very good example. Uh, my my wife and uh, and uh, her little brother. My wife. So there's no genotype effect. They're the same gene. Uh, but my wife is three years older than her little uh, brother. So if I look at day zero, like uh, the same time, my wife is supposed to be taller than her little brother, right? Okay, but what is the uh, treatment effect? Uh, there are something you may you may don't like. For example, you don't like uh, running. You don't like uh, shopping. Uh, my wife doesn't like eating. So <laughs> she doesn't like food when she was little. So <laughs> so you can see, like uh, like 20 years later, uh, her little brother is uh, about 20 centimeters higher. <laughs> There. <laughs> so, so the genotype effect only like in the plays a major effect in the beginning and later than the treatment effect is more important. Okay. So uh, my question is so the conclusion is the same. We further confirm the previous conclusions and uh, we see the interaction is not significant. We see the treatment effect is like the J shape and the like a J shift here, and for uh, treatment effect, the J shift or environmental effect is like a closed limit uh, shape. Okay, so my question is first, uh, we want to have some smooth estimates of those curves, right? So you won't expect that uh, you may close your eyes and see the baby next day, you see he's uh, bigger, but you won't believe that he's. he's like not continuous, like after one day after zero eight AM, you like immediately goes bigger. So you want to have the smooth estimate of growth curves, right? You don't believe that this kind of growth curves are natural, right? It's like um, uh, uh, intersection there. So you want this curve to be really smooth, which will reflect the natural growth of some plant. The second, you may want to have the derivative sometimes. You want to know the first derivative, the velocity, and the second derivative, the acceleration of the growth curves. You also have, you want to have the information at some time, at the same time sometimes. So how do we do this? So a simple way to do this is to use the parametric methods. So parametric method, if you have a J-shaped curve, you can use simply use this exponential growth curve. Um, so at time t, the height is related to time zero by just one parameter r. Uh, if you have some s shape, then this one is used pretty often use nine parameters. So c1 to c3, c1 to c3, c1 to c3. It's called a triple logistic function. Okay. So the defects of those methods are first the choice of the parameter models are very subjective. You um, just choose a model which uh, we're only determined by one parameter or something. So sometimes this may not reflect the real growth. Okay, so our first <coughs> method is called uh, functional ANOVA. So yit to be the Ice growth, ice maze measured by time t. So 
then we choose this as the whole function. So we have new function and GP, the template definition, working function, and the errors. So actually, the, these errors are not like the normal IID for the functional data analysis. We have more uh, decomposition for these error terms, but I don't want to uh, mention that today. So we just treat them as IID errors. So we just analyze the treatment effect part. Okay. So I will hide the details. So because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. So, <laughs> so I have some details, technical details, which are hard to explain. So by some techniques uh, in your functional data analysis, you can estimate those new functions, like new p, gp, uh, wp, simultaneously. So the logic behind this is if you use parametric modeling, for example, the easiest way to do it is using polynomials. You have you want to uh, approximate this new function mu t as polynomials. So you want to use a linear combination of a function like one t t square t cubic, maybe good for j shape, right? But if you do this, the polynomials, if you do this polynomial modeling, the defect is uh, those functions are all defined in the whole range of time. So this one t t squared, they're all defined from day zero to day 20, right? So they are defined on the whole range, which means that if we have uh, estimates, those estimates are very unstable. So uh, in functional data analysis, use techniques using kernel smoothing or spline smoothing, those methods, uh, all those functions or those basic functions are similar like one x x squared like those polynomial functions. But the difference is those functions are defined only on a small region. So on a very small uh, piece, for example, from day one to day three, day five to day seven, they only define in this region. And in this region, they are polynomial, still polynomials sometimes. So they are called piecewise polynomials. So using piecewise polynomials, you can approximate those curves the local features very well, and also it is smooth, and uh, the estimates will be very stable. So means the estimation will not have much error. So this is the logic behind the difference between parametric and non-parametric methods. So in functional data analysis, we use non-parametric methods. Okay, so we can have estimates for mu t, g t, and w t, as well as their derivatives. So, for example, if we look at the function at the same time, we can see those curves are looks more natural. They are very smooth, right? and uh, you can see a very, very obvious cross here. Uh, so, which shows the effect. So, this one is real water uh, with the TFMA. This one is not. Where, uh, so, this one is stress with TFMA3. This one grows bigger than that one. So you can also see this from here. Okay. So the good thing about uh, the method I used uh, is you not only you have estimate for the mean function, uh, for the effect function, also you have the derivatives. So you can have the first derivative, second derivatives, like you go to Walmart, you buy one, you two for free. So <laughs> It's really free, just the, the basic function of a derivative, so you have the same coefficients, so it's uh, really just uh, for free. So for the velocity, you can see the left side is the velocity functions. On the right side, you can see that uh, we guess this is this, this is the J shift for the original function. So if you have derivative, it is so still grows uh, much faster. So this one we believe is a constant like linear, but if you derivative is this. Uh, it really shows some like fine like, curve here. So it can show you more features using derivatives. So second derivatives, uh, <coughs> I don't want to explain uh, them more, but you can see that the that still show you some shapes, right? So this is like parabola, this is like um, growth curve. Okay. 
there are more analysis can be done about uh, analyze the effect for each individual plan, but I haven't done such analysis. Okay, so one thing we're going to do is we want to know that we really take the picture of those plans every day, right? How about if we don't take picture every day, what is the loss of that? Uh, so, for example, I consider two subsampling strategies, which means that I have two strategies to just to choose uh, a part of the data. We have 60 rows, 20 columns. I want to choose a part of the data to see if I use the same method, just have this, this part of the data. Uh, what is the loss compared with I have the whole data? So, for scenario one, I only use the old days, the so D1, D3, D6. I don't use every day. So these are still overlapping time points because it's still for each plant it is observed uh, on the same day. So for the application, for example, I have the facility in the greenhouse can only uh, take um, 60 plants. So every day can only take six plants for pictures. After that, um, we didn't want to go home. So they only can take 60 plants. Okay, uh, but I have 120 plants in the greenhouse. I have 60 maize and 60 rice. So I can do that alternative days. So today I do rice, tomorrow I do maize, then I do them alternative days. So then I can handle 120 plants, even if I only have image facility for 60 plants. So this is scenario one. So scenario two, um, I choose half of the plants, I choose 30 of them measured on odd days, the other half measured on even days. Okay, so these are called non-overlapping time points because not, the, not every plant is measured on same day. Some plants only measured on the uh, odd days, some plants only measured on even days. Okay, so still we have half of the data. Okay, so application is you have the facility only allows uh, imaging 30 plants. But we have 60 missed plants. So then you can randomly choose 30 and uh, the other 30 for the other day. So definitely, so randomly choosing 30 plants uh, because they are two general types to treatment, we want them to include those, uh, include them evenly. Okay. So what is the loose of that? So I have considered relatively different, which means you calculate the difference between the estimate between uh, the estimate using a part of the data uh, minus the estimate giving the whole data divided by uh, the estimate for the whole data. So the relative difference. So you can see that uh, except at the beginning, because we know at the beginning the plants are quite small, so the error here in the uh, slide larger. After that, after three or four days, the, the difference is all within 5% for those cases. And if you take the average of the four curves, all kinds of um, combinations, and at all time points, so you can see the average is just 1.6% for the first scenario and 1.5% for the second scenario. So uh, even if you only use half of the data, the, the loss is actually very, very small for the estimation. Okay, so for a summary, we have smooth estimates of the growth curves, and uh, we choose the shape of the growth curves. We estimate the shape subjectively by the data, not by subjectively by ourselves choosing a parametric model to use. Further, we can have derivatives of the growth curve estimation, so by trigger two for three, and uh, we can do more experiments given a facility, and uh, you can do non-overlapping time points. You don't need to measure each plant every day. Okay, so this is uh, currently what we did with joint work with Emo and James. Uh, in the future, uh, there are more work to do as Remote uh, describe we have lots of imaging data which can be analyzed. Okay. Uh, thank you.
<laughs> so when you when you were explaining about the uh, um, neural networks model uh -huh. and how to use that to um, tell the pixels apart from the background, um, you were explaining the model. That I was um, not I am not I was not sure if I understood. So you said like you look at the pixels and then you generate some hidden data to get like the final pixels that are gonna um, like tell the plant apart. I, I was not sure like what is this hidden hidden data and how do you get that? So um, so that is the beauty of neural networks. So it's doing some uh, data combinations of the input pixel data, the input image data, and then doing some weighted average for each of the hidden layers and then do a nonlinear transformation. So those are hidden um, factors, those hidden layers can actually separate the two class. It's kind of like a non-parametric uh, 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 classification. That's just using data to train, um, to train the class by. Okay. So for the neural network thing, you're only using data from that particular pixel. You're not looking at any neighborhood information yet. And you're classifying which pixels are. So, uh, so for the training data, only use the pixel from one small plant yeah. and one background picture. Right. So that's it. But, but each pixel is evaluated based just on the the R, the R, the G, and the D intensity of yeah. that particular pixel. It doesn't look at neighborhood. No. So if we look at neighborhood, that is a convolutional uh, method, yeah. which actually I would like to try. And I think that performance will be much improved yeah. by using the neighborhood information. So of course, one challenge we'll have is as we get to the much more mature plants, yeah. they will have uh, other organs that will be different colors. From the, yeah, from the right. Plants. So it's like the castle yeah. of Right. So the slope you look at, right? So that is the first order derivative. So this can also give you that information by looking at the first order derivative. So how computationally expensive is functional data analysis? If you want to run this in a thousand plants, you uh, run into trouble, or you, you mean what I did here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. is it, is it... Yes, super fast. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> 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 you have one million plants. If we only want to analyze the groups, it's too fast. Okay. Um, the collecting the data data from the big plants is not. I have one question related to the uh, to the two species. You have used the one percent reason, the other is FFA. I guess one wondering during the sixteen days. Uh, growth. Uh, what's the development? Are, are they are the two species? They under the same development, or one is mature, the other is not. I mean, one is uh, ready to give some seeds. So I mean, uh, can you compare that? Because maybe that may maybe may affect the uh, the yield. I mean, the weight. Or did you consider that? Or they all unmatured in the sixteen days. Uh, I will look at Jim's. <laughs> so this was, uh, it only went through 30 some days after planting, so nothing was, uh, was flowering yet. There's some additional data from the same experiment, uh, that you've analyzed now. Uh, and so the fast flower, the, FF, the FFMA is fast flowering many things. 
So by the end of the data set, yes, you were seeing that there's flowering of the plastic, fast flowering many days, uh, which throws off all our weight estimates because uh, the air is much denser for new pixels. Thank you, Tim. When you calculate the area of the plants, do you remove the stem area or just use the leaves area? I think you use all, all the area. Oh. The pro, this is the project area, right? Yeah. I mean, you take a picture of the color of six of the white by the background. So when, you, when the plants suffer the worst water stress, some leaves become curled. So if you expand the leaves, they become wider. Maybe no difference is compared with the normal condition. So this is my performance. Yes. Yes. I think uh, you have four pictures, right? You have from this side as well. And yeah, they have different views. Yeah. Not just from one angle. They have different angles and the size is Consider them different angles. The angle is make the average or take the maximum angle. Average or average from different views, right? Yeah. In the sort of big block. It may be the sum. The sum? Sum. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much.